Hey, welcome to the Amusia podcast. It's a lot of fun, but um, not necessarily easy, putting out a story every week for 24 weeks. So when Michael and I got started on this thing, like in March, we put a few advanced episodes into the bank that we could draw on and stay ahead. And there have been some camping and some holidays that bookend this week here at the end of June. Oh, I'm also deep at work on a show for the San Francisco Fringe Festival this September. And I'll have more to say about that, I'm sure, as it gets closer. Probably use this podcast as a platform to test out a scene. But for now, it is time to take one of those stories off the shelf called Woodridge, Illinois. Um, and it comes as a twofer, along with a partner story called Philosophy of Mind. And I worked kind of hard on it. Read a couple, three books on autism to convince myself that I was handling things creditably. And um, was inspired overall by a really affecting story that I ran into in the New York Times magazine from last December. So like always, these references will go up on our podcast blog at amusia.org. Anyway, this is a dramatic story. Dramatic. It can be tempting some weeks to throw out something jocular, but it's all about balance. And this week, it's time for Woodridge, Illinois. Ed Wainwright pulled up to the group home and stepped out of the Ford. He stood beside it for a moment, swaying imperceptibly on the balls of his feet. He was procrastinating. He made himself step inside. This is like every other weekend, one step at a time, through the door, into the common room. That old worn couch and carpet, the residents' mawkish awards and their photos on the wall from group outings. Hello, Ed. Didn't expect to see you here on a Saturday. Alex stood from a game of checkers with one of the residents, his hand outstretched. Something Ed resisted taking that hand. Ed overcame that, shook, made himself smile while doing it. Alex's checker opponent, Rusty, a man in his late thirties, touched with Down syndrome, cried out, Hi, Mr. Wainwright! Hello, Alec. Hello, Rusty. Gloria is going to be seeing her sister tomorrow, was all, so I come to get Victor for supper today instead. See? That didn't sound unusual at all. Just taking the boy home for family dinner a different day this weekend. Alec nodded. Well, you sure know where you'll find Victor. Ed grunted noiselessly and went on down the hall, flicking on the portable radio in his pocket. It was going to be hard enough breaking Victor's routine, tearing him out of his room on an unscheduled night, keeping that classical station playing at all times was going to be critical. Ironic how they started playing the classical station for Victor when he was three, and they were getting the first real tantrums, the diagnosis. They thought it would calm him down. It worked. Kept him busy memorizing playlists and composers' works, but if you switch off that radio at the wrong time, he will tear his hair out or half try to break your nose. Come on, Victor. Come on, son. Ed began right away. He was forcing patience into his tone, but he knew he was moving too quick, coming on too strong. He even switched off Victor's boombox, forever tuned to 98.7 FNT. Victor flapped his hands a little, eyes darting back and forth. This sudden disruption already had him at the brink. The tension was dripping off of his father, but Ed could just not make himself any calmer than this. Ed dialed up the volume on that radio in his pocket. Your music's still right here, son. We're just having dinner a day early this week. You and your mother and me. We'll have the music on in the car the whole way. Haydn Symphony Number 22, Victor said, repeating this formula to calm himself. Number 22. That's right, Ed said, taking Victor's coat from the peg by the door and collecting his son's hand. Hayden is going to be on for you while we go to the car. They shuffled through the common room, Ed nodding grimly at the passing checkers game, and were out the front door, just like that. No doubt but that this seemed very unusual to Alec. For eight years, Ed had made time for a chat with the caregivers every week when he came, making sure things were taken care of for his son. We're going home? Victor asked. Home on Saturday? 
Ed was ushering him into the Ford, peremptory but smooth. That's right, son. It was certainly an aberration in the life of a 51-year-old man who had been held in the narrowest and, and quietest routines by the daily Herculeanisms of so many of his caregivers. Ed knew how perceptive and insightful Victor really could be, the strange wisdom in his secret thoughts. But he didn't think his son could begin to comprehend what had been done to create the decades of structure that he'd required. Ed threw open the front door, and Victor is expected beeline for his favorite chair. WFMT had been left on the home stereo in preparation for him. So much had already been prepared that Ed was struck with a bolt of mortal terror. There was almost nothing left to do now, and he had never known a feeling quite as desperate as that. Ed's eyes fell on the kitchen doorway. He wished for a quarter second he could stride right in there and pour himself two, three good inches of Gilby's, but you know... He just couldn't have anybody blaming this on that, after they would inevitably find it in his bloodstream. That's why he drank his fill of gin Thursday night, according to plan. Plenty of time to drive back out. So nothing left now to do. Not even a chance to have Gloria say goodbye to a boy. The poor woman's hip was so far gone that she left the house so rarely that nobody even knew how bad her dementia had gotten. Ed had had her into the doctor, but what's the doctor going to do but talk about the right time for putting her in a home, too? For months now, Gloria had not been able to recognize her own son when he came in for Sunday dinner, so there was no goodbye to be said between a, a woman with no memory and a man with no notion of what some psychologists call a theory of self. Futile. And so Ed had taken care of Gloria this afternoon. At her bedside, he gathered her hands in his, spoke a long and tearful prayer, and did what it was time to do. 911, what's your emergency? It was 7.24 p.m., a warm April, 73 degrees in Woodridge, Illinois, with the sunset spreading orange with pink and even fuchsia tinges overhead. Yes, this is uh, Ed Wainwright of 311A Barrow Drive. I'm afraid I have to report, well, three deaths. Two and, and a third one right after we get off the phone here. So there's no danger for the police. I want to be sure you know that. But the front door is unlocked here, and when you send them out, um, they're going to be finding three bodies in the home, okay? Mr. Mister Wainwright, whose bodies? Is this an accident? Is it a murder? It's homicides, ma'am. Um, I want to say I have everything here on the entry table. My will, my wife's will, her medical papers about her dementia, my papers about my diagnosis I've recently received of cancer of the lung. Um, everything's going to go to our other daughter, Mrs. Emily Greentree of Waukegan, but I have copies of everything in the mail to her as of this afternoon and my own letter of explanation to her as well. Mr. Wainwright, what is happening at 311A Barrow Drive? Are you saying you've hurt someone there? Please don't take any further actions until we can have police arrive. Ma'am, the police will find my wife Gloria in her bed uh, to the left-hand side room, and my son Victor will be in the easy chair here in the family room. Both shot in the temple, so I apologize for how that's going to be, but I have to go. Uh, I'll be found in the kitchen at the table. Thank you. I have to go. Okay, that was heavy. You know, a little story about healthcare and the way that Breaking Bad is about healthcare, only without all that fun methamphetamine. And I'm turning around and putting us through it a second time. 
Or at least sort of. The story is set earlier in the day, before the events that we just heard about. People with autism come in all sorts and styles, of course. By no means do all autistic people have the echolalia, the repetitive speech that this character does in the piece that's coming up right here. But, um, you know, the Rain Man sort of uh, style of talking. But some do. And I felt that it kind of mirrored the, the autistic obsessiveness being turned toward the topic of classical music and the repetition of classical music and, and its Baroque patterns and forms kind of reflecting the, the inner thoughts of this character. It's very heady of me there, very artsy, but there you have it. The story is called Philosophy of Mind. Next we have Symphony Number no. 22. Number 22. Next we have Symphony Number no. 22, an E-flat major by Josef Haydn. J-O-S-E-P-H-H-A-Y-D-N. Josef Haydn. Symphony Number no. 22, nicknamed The Philosopher. Performed for us under the baton of Sir Neville Mariner with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. B-flat, A-flat, G. C, B-flat, A-flat. B-flat, A-flat, G. A-flat, F-D, E-flat. G, A-flat, F, G. The Philosopher, Symphony Number no. 22 in E-flat major, first heard kindergarten, age 5. Next heard, 7th grade, age 12. Third time heard, junior year high school, age 17. Selective service age, sign up for the draft, it's quick, it's easy, and it's the law. Heard the Philosopher, age 19, 22, twice, age 24, 26, 29, 34, 39, 41. This makes the 13th time. The Philosopher, Symphony Number no. 22, performed for us under the baton of Sir Neville Mariner with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. Performed for us under the baton of Sir Neville Mariner with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. Like a broken record. Like a broken record. Like a broken record. Which Emily said in the second month of second grade, Wednesday. And she explained it means to repeat because a record is a special dinner plate with scratches that make sounds, and when the scratch is broken, the sound repeats. 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 Adagio, four-four time. Presto, four-four time. Menuet, E, trio, three-four time. Finale, presto, six-eight time. The Philosopher, Symphony Number no. 22 in E-flat major, composed 1764. Haydn Symphony Number no. 23 in G major, composed 1764. Haydn Symphony Number no. 24 in D major, composed 1764. Haydn Symphony Number no. 25 in C major, likely composed 1763. Likely composed. Likely composed. Likely composed. Let the composing composers, there's nothing much anyone can do. You can still hear Beethoven, but Beethoven cannot hear you. I hear father's voice in the hall. Father's voice. I hear father's voice in the hall. It's Saturday, 6.52 p.m. He is 24 hours early. WFMT Saturday evening general program concludes at 6 p.m. Next is Fiesta with Elbio Barbilari. Elbio Barbilari. Barbilali, Elbio Barbilali, Fiesta, featuring the hottest Latin American music from the 16th to the 21st centuries, 6 p.m. Father's voice is in the hall. Time to go. Time to go. 
No time to go. No time to go. Time to go is Sunday at 6 p.m. with general programming. This is time for Fiesta with Elbio Bobby Lari. Time to go. Not time to go. 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 Father in room. Look away. Eyes intense. Time to go. All right, that was fun. Thanks for listening. Again, there are links on the podcast blog at amusia.org. You can follow us at iTunes or on SoundCloud. Uh, Look for the Amusia Story Podcast in those places and find the links to them at amusia.org. We'll be back next week with something that I think by all rights at this point deserves to be funny.